0: Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to know when lives are impacted. And if that is you, please shoot us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. Well, we are in part four, week four of our series, Leadership Laboratory. And we have learned a lot of things so far. We've talked about finding your flow and really looking at what a good leader does, how you dig into the situation, how you evaluate things, how you can find the wisdom you need from an old well. You just got to dig it out. We, we talked about the principles to increase your reach, how to develop people. Last week was a really foundational message on the why of leadership, why we do what we do, why you do what you do. And today I'm excited uh, to get into God's word because I want to deal with a question that I think all of us face, and it's this question of how do I grow? How do I grow my leadership? How do I grow in what God has called me to do? And so we're going to talk about grow your gift. I want to get into our scripture today because it's a pretty long passage of scripture And uh, I want to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 14 through 30. And uh, where we're going to pick up, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. Now, uh, if you're not really a Bible person, one thing you should know is that when he's talking about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about a place. He's actually talking about the way God operates or even the way God has intended for us to operate, the way God has intended for us to live. And In so many ways, you could even say he's talking about leadership, like God's style of leadership. And I would just tell you, I think if you look at any of these parables that talk about the kingdom of God and say, how does this apply to leadership? I think you'll you'll see it in a fresh way, in a new way. But in Matthew 25, 14, Jesus, he goes into another parable about the kingdom of God and he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, is what belongs to you. And his master replied, that's okay. That's all right. And after all, I didn't give you that much. Just gave you one bag. I didn't tell you what to do with it. Didn't tell you how to use it. You know what? Why don't you come in and talk about it? Try again. Go get him, tiger. I mean, after all, it's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. Everybody gets a trophy as far as I'm concerned. That's not what he said, is it? You see, one of the things that was so revolutionary about Jesus' teaching is that he would get the story up to a certain point where everybody thought they knew how it was going to end, and then he would flip it. They they didn't expect this. See, Jesus, he made it clear he was talking about the kingdom of God. He made it clear he was talking about God and the way he works and the way he operates. And At this point in the story, everybody is expecting that the master is going to be merciful, I mean, after all, that's, that's the way God is. But instead, Jesus flips the ending and he gives an alternate director's cut. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew, did you, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you feel uplifted already? Welcome to Velocity Church, everybody. You wicked, lazy servant. Well... I actually believe that God does want to use this text to speak something to us, something challenging, something encouraging. And I want to speak to you from this subject, grow your gift, grow your gift. We learn to find our flow, to increase our reach, to hold our charge. And today I want to talk to you about how you can grow your gift. And so after you've written down that title, it's the title of my message Uh, I need you to turn to the person next to you. I need you to give them a high five and say, hey, let's grow together. Let's grow together. I didn't say let's grow old together. I said just let's grow together. And uh, while I'm at it, before I get into my message, I just want to ask, this is probably tacky, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, You know, it is Pastor Appreciation Month. And here is one thing that you can give me, the the, the one thing that's really going to make a difference. I want you to sit on the front row. Okay, you have no idea what it's like when I'm trying to preach to you and everybody's back there. I feel like you hate me. That's what's going through my mind right now. So uh, if you will make a commitment next week and for the rest of this month, I want you to fill up the front row and act like you want to be here. Act like you're excited to get God's word. Will you do that for me? We just clap if you'll do that. Uh, That's what I'm asking. And you'll bless me, and I'll know you love me, and I'll feel appreciated in that. So, hey, let's pray. Let's get into God's word, and uh, we'll see what he has to say to us. God, we thank you so much for your word, for your truth, and for what you speak to us. I thank you, God, that you always speak when we open up your word, and I'm believing that you will do the same thing today. God, uh, move in our hearts, move in our life. Help me to communicate your truth today. I believe you will. believe you have a word for these people Thank you for it, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, how many of you have ever made a wrong assumption? Anybody? Just let me know where you're at, the wrong assumption. I see some hands that did not go up. Are you lying in church? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Assumptions are tricky. Um, wouldn't you agree? Because, I mean, not... It's not bad in and of itself to make some. I mean, some assumptions are necessary. I mean, there are some things you just have to assume. Like you don't get to certify the the, the pilot of every plane you fly on. I mean, you just have to assume that they're qualified for the job. Uh, you know, you go out to you, you just assume that uh, everybody's washed their hands when they've prepared. you. Like there are some assumptions you just have to make. Uh, but assumptions, I think, can get us into trouble, in particular. I think there are three words that are probably the most dangerous words uh, that you can ever say, whether you say them in your mind or you say them with your mouth. Uh, The most dangerous words when you are making a decision. Uh, The most dangerous words when you are evaluating something. The most dangerous words when you are giving a a reason for an action. Uh, I think they are the most dangerous words in a relationship. The most dangerous words in terms of progress uh, the, the most dangerous word I would say for a leader and in your leadership, these three words, I just assumed. I, I, I just assumed. Those words can ruin a relationship and sabotage an opportunity because I just assumed. I didn't prepare. I, I, I just assumed. I, I didn't check in on it. I just assumed. I didn't ask anybody if this was a good decision, but I just assumed. Those three words can create a lot of needless frustration. And I wonder if one of the reasons we're frustrated in our leadership or the problems that we're facing as leaders is because we've made some inaccurate assumptions when it comes to the gifts that God has given us. I confess to you that Uh, Even in regards to this text, I've made some inaccurate assumptions. Because, well, the parable starts out like this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags of gold. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Now, i got to back up just a little bit, because I'm always thinking, okay, how can I illustrate this? How can, how can I help the, you know, make this practical? And um, I'm going to just grab a couple of volunteers, since you guys aren't sitting on the front. I'll just come to you. How's that sound? So um, I'm going to grab you, if you go sit on the front row, you and you. Will you guys all do that for me? That'd be great. And uh, I don't have bags of gold to give out, but I do have some Velocity pens. And I mean, if anything represents wealth and multiplication, it would be velocity pens. I mean, how many of you, you cannot deny the blessing of God when you look at velocity pens because you know you have drawers full of these in your house. Just take a look in your car. Uh, Open up your purse, somebody, and you will see that God is a God of multiplication. Do you agree with that? So, um, all right, I want to give you... uh, give you five of these. One, two, three, four, five. All right. You'll get uh, two and uh, you'll get one. All right. So you guys just hold, hold on to those for, for a minute. Cause see, here's the, here's the thing. I I always assumed like God knows how much ability I have Tell me your names again. What's your name? Aiden, Toby, Ashton. Aiden, Toby, and Ashton. Let's let's give them a round of applause. Appreciate them being volunteers. So, see, I always just assume, like, God knows how much ability I have. And uh, because he knows how much ability I have, like, he's not going to expect me to do anything beyond the ability that he's given me. And I get that from the text because when you look at the one who had two and turned it into four, the one who had five turned it into 10, what you see is they both got the same congratulations, right? So, so, so I look at that, it's like, okay, well, you know, it's not what you have, it's how you handle what you have. And, and I think that's good. It is good, and I do believe that. Because I mean, it's not like I think at the end of my life, God's not going to hold me accountable to Billy Graham's race, right? He's going to hold me accountable to what he's given me, what he's entrusted me. We talked about last week how God doesn't demand what he didn't deposit. He doesn't hold you accountable to a gift he hasn't given you. He doesn't hold you accountable to a gift that he hasn't graced you with. He doesn't hold you accountable to somebody else's scorecard. I still believe that. But I wonder if it's a little bit incomplete. Because... My thought process is, like, it's good, but it's not what the text says. It's what I want to believe because it's convenient. Because then when I can't do something, when I feel like I'm not good enough, I say, well, God hasn't given me that gift. I mean, come on. Like, I'm just a two-talent guy. I mean, you know what it's like to be a two-talent guy, right? I mean, there's just some things you can't do. And so, like, when I feel frustrated, like, well, God, if you would have given me that gift, if you would have given me that opportunity, if you would have given me that ability, well, then I could have done something. But I'm not. I'm just talent, two-talent guy. Or I'm a one-talent guy. That, that, that's the excuse I tell myself whenever I see somebody who's doing more than I'm doing. But... It didn't say that they received these gifts according to the master's choice. It said that they received these gifts according to their ability. And here's one thing I know about you and me. Is that we all have the ability to grow our ability. In other words, they had something, they had a part to play in this. Now, yes, you have some things you can do that I can't do. I have some things I can do. ...that you can't do, but all of us have the ability to grow our ability. And I wonder if sometimes we overestimate what we would do with the abilities that we don't have... ...and we underestimate what we could do with the abilities that we do have if we would grow in it. See, I think God wants you to grow in your ability. And you know what's so interesting about the parables is that they're so open-ended. I mean, we don't know a lot of the details in this story, but who's to say that the man who got two talents, two bags of gold, as our translation says, who's to say that he didn't start with one the first time and that he didn't turn that into two, and so now this time he's getting to start with two because he was faithful with it the first time. See, here's what I want you to see, is that you can grow What you've been given. That's what this parable is about. That you have the ability to grow your gift. And I bring this up because I hear so so many people say, Well, if God wants you to have it, he'll give it to you. But I don't really believe that. I think if you want God to give it, you got to grow in whatever he has already given you. That's my philosophy. And that's my introduction. I may be a two-talent preacher, but I don't have to stay there. I may be a one-talent leader, but I can grow in my gift. So how do you grow in your gift? Well, that's what I want to tell you. See, a few things from the text. And the first thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Is you need to view it with value. You need to view it with value. Now, it doesn't really seem fair to me that you would get one you would get two, you would get five, and yet the master, he's going to hold you to the same expectation. Well, I guess it's not exactly the same expectation. I mean, he just has an expectation that you're going to grow what you've been given. But, but he, he doesn't necessarily expect you to all have the same return in this venture. Now, this guy on the end, he, he didn't. Bring a return. These two did. But he treated these two equally. You you read about in the text, the one who returned four, the one who returned ten, they got the same speech, the, the, the exact same congratulations. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to your master's happiness. But I was thinking about this guy who returned one. And, you know, it says he hid it because he was afraid. And I believe that because I think fear is always stopping us from stepping out. But as I was reading through this text, I wondered if maybe it wasn't just that he was afraid. Maybe it was a little bit offended. Offended. Because, I mean, it's like, all right, he got five? Five? Why, why did he get five? I mean, why did he get two? I know this guy. I, I know his attitude. He's not worth two. <laughs> Definitely not worth five. And I've got one? I'll tell you what you can do with this one talent. I'll, yeah, you wanna know? Don't call me a one talent servant. I, I wonder if he wasn't just a little bit offended And see, every time I've read this text, like especially growing up when I would read through it, I never really understood the value of this one talent. I mean, even in the translation we're looking at, bags of gold, when I would read that, I'm like, okay, so they got bags of gold. I mean, that's probably enough, like, to take care of their lunch for the week. I mean, at at most... Two weeks. If you're going to party, like, you can spend it all. I mean, when you read about the parable of, uh, of the prodigal son, and he spent his whole inheritance, like, in just a short amount of time, surely these bags of gold, these talents, are not that much. So I never understood what had been entrusted to them. Just that one talent. What I never realized is that that one talent, just, just that one That was equal to 20 years of wages. 20 years. I don't know what 20 years of wages for you. Just for easy math and round numbers, let's say it's a million dollars. That in 20 years, you can make a million dollars. You've got a million dollars. You've got $2 million. You've got $5 million. Even the one with the least has a lot. Even the one with a little has a lot. Even the one that feels like he didn't get as much as everybody else, it's a lot. And I just want to tell you, you might not have what somebody else has, but you still got a lot. You might not have the gifts other people have, but what you have is a lot. Just one talent is a lot. So, stop complaining about what is not and start working what you got. That's what I would say if I could preach hard. If I could preach and yell at you, I would yell at you with that. Just one talent is a lot. It's not much, it's just a little, but it's a lot. Just one gift, but it's a lot. I'm just a good listener, but even that can stop somebody from committing suicide if you put it to work. I'm just single yeah, but you got a lot of time on your hands. I'm just in college, yeah, but you have a lot of relational networks. Even whatever you've got is significant. Whatever you've got is something. Whatever you've got is valuable if you put it to work. Because even if you think, well, it's not as much as theirs, so it doesn't matter, you could grow what you've been given if you would view it as valuable you got to view it as valuable. But the second thing I want to tell you is you got to operate with urgency. Operate with urgency. See, in this passage, we don't see a man who stole his master's money. We don't see a man who was fraudulent with his master's money. But what we see is someone who sat on it. He sat on it. And the problem with a lot of us is that we're sitting on our gifts. We're sitting on what God has given us. Got a gift, but sitting on it. Could make a difference, but sitting on it. Got a talent, but sitting on it. Got relationships, but sitting on it. Got abilities, but sitting on it. Got resource, but sitting on it. Got influence, but sitting on it. We're sitting on the gift that God has given us. And see, I discovered a clue about the people who grow their gift, the people who grow what they've been given. And it's in verse 16. It says, The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put it to work. See, when I saw that, I thought, there it is. That's the distinguishing characteristic about those who grow their gift and those that don't. He went at once because procrastination kills progress more than anything else. So he didn't try and calculate, all right, I, I see when he's coming back. I know it's a long journey. I've got this much time. You know, it's going to be like probably five months or so. As long as I get started within the first month, really second, even third month at, at the most, I can still do something with this. No, he went at once. And faithful people know, I gotta do it now. Good leaders know, I gotta do it now, right now. Uh, Because I wanna contrast this. It says in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And I just wanna hypothetically suggest to you that this guy here, I, I believe he had a lot of good intentions. I believe he even had some good ideas on what he could do. I think he's probably, you know, he wrote some stuff down and he put that on the calendar. I wonder if he had good intentions, but maybe he just didn't have the initiative. Because, I mean, like, see yourself in this parable with me for for a minute. I mean, these guys saw the master go on his journey. He gave them this money, this valuable gift before he took off. They probably helped him. Packed the suitcases in the car. They may not have known how long he was going to be gone. They may not have known uh, all the details of when he was coming back. But they at least had an idea. Okay, this is a business trip. Oh, this is a family trip. This is it's going to be gone six months. He's going to be gone six years. They had some kind of idea. And so I wonder, maybe he had all the ideas, but he didn't feel the urgency. Put it on the calendar. Well, get around to it. And I think sometimes the problem isn't that we don't have good ideas. It's that we wait too long to act on it, and then it implodes. I'm trying to help you understand sometimes why your intentions are so much better than your return. So let me ask you a question, so help everybody here. What's your response time? When you've been given an assignment, do you value it? If you do, then what's your response time? Because let me tell you, you don't value it if you don't act immediately. Don't tell me any different. If when you've been given an assignment and, and you don't value it, you don't act on it immediately because you think you have more time. And let me make this, give you a spiritual application. When God gives you an instruction... The space between his instruction and your obedience, that's a measure of your spiritual maturity. How how quickly do you go into obedience mode? And I understand, look, some things take time. I'm not saying you can finish every project right away. I understand there's some things that you don't want to rush. I guess what I'm trying to tell you, though, is that even though you can't complete things instantly, You can still begin immediately. I know sometimes we get caught up in thinking, well, this is going to take so long to finish. You know, Why even get started? But you can still make progress. You can still take a step. And I'm not talking about making somebody else's emergency your priority. I'm not talking about having senseless, unprioritized activity. But I'm just saying when you've been given an assignment of value, does the priority of the assignment drive you to immediate action. Because it seems like for this guy, for Ashton, seems like for him, there was nothing more important to him than to get to work on it immediately. And let me help, help everybody in this room. Because we're all leaders, but all of us likely have people leading us. If the people who are leading you don't feel like you're going to get around to it, they'll start working around you. So the question is, are you the person that people go to? Are you the person that people work around? If you want to grow your gift, you need to operate with urgency. But then you also need to act with ownership. Act with ownership. Now now this is one of those things that you only pick up on if you've read through this passage way too many times. Because in verse 14, it says, the man, the master, he went on a journey and he called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So question, whose wealth was it? The master's wealth. No question about it, right? It's obvious. He entrusted his wealth to them. But verse 16 says, Ashton, the man who received five bags of gold, went at once and put his money to work. So whose money are we talking about now? The servants. He went out and put his money to work. So here's the application. Do you own it? Do you own it? When you've been given something, when you've been entrusted with something, do you own it? Now, he didn't forget where it came from. Because you see, at the end of it, they returned everything to who it rightfully belonged to. And I don't want you to ever forget where your gift comes from. I don't want you to ever forget where your help comes from. I don't want you to ever forget where your energy comes from, where your life comes from, where your resource comes from. Don't ever forget that. But if you want to grow in your leadership, if you want to grow in your gift, what I want to know is when you've been given an assignment, do you own it? Is it it yours? Because when you understand this, you operate with a completely different sense of accountability, completely different sense of mission. And while I'm on it, I'll just help you guys out here, and I don't say this to condemn you. But one way I can tell about whether or not you've really got it here or not is when you come up to me and you say, Pastor, I love your church. Because you know what that tells me? You don't got it yet. Because it's not my church. It's our church. I want to know, do you own it? Do you own this mission? Are you invested in it? Are are you helping contribute to it? Are you helping advance the mission? Do you you have a, a sense of Responsibility and accountability with it. Now think about this, this parable. Think about how little detail he gave them. He didn't tell them what they should invest in, what they shouldn't invest in. He didn't hover over them like a helicopter God. He didn't do any of that. Now he had an expectation, but all he did, he entrusted them with it. And so if you want to grow in your leadership it's not enough just to take possession of a task you got to take responsibility you got to take ownership and i know the i, I, I know the man with one he never did you know how i know that because at the end when he brings it back he says here is your gold here's what belongs to you it's not what they said They said, this money that you've entrusted me with, I've gained two more, I've gained five more. I wonder how you view what God has given you. Last thing I'm gonna tell you, you gotta respond with resolve, respond with resolve. You know, I think this guy would have been better off to just say, master, I lost it all, but at least I tried. because this is what confused everybody about it. You see, the greatest danger isn't that you would fail, but that you'd be faithless, that you'd be faithless. See, even if you fail, that can produce faith in your life, which will make it fruitful. And this is what, what, what confused everybody is that we've got a wrong definition of what faithfulness is. We think faithfulness is maintenance, but faithfulness isn't maintenance. Faithfulness is multiplication. You know what the first commandment God gave humans was when he created them? That's right. Be faithful and maintain right? No. Be fruitful and multiply. And a good leader knows that my job is to multiply what I've been given. Not just to maintain, not just to keep the status quo, but to multiply. The question is, you've got to have some resolve in you to grow what you've been given. you're going to try something. Even for me, I would rather try I'd rather try to launch another service, launch another campus, raise money for building, do all sorts of stuff for outreach and fail miserably. And at least God knows I cared enough to try. You gotta respond with resolve. What's interesting about that word resolve, it's actually another word for faith. As we close, I just wanna encourage you, you gotta respond with faith. I talked about assumptions At the beginning, you know, the one thing I think that keeps us from growing in our relationship with God is a wrong assumption about who God is. This guy who hid his money in the ground, he says, I knew you were a hard man. But if you really want to look at that in another translation, the ESV, it's a little bit more literal. He says, I knew you to be a hard man. In other words, this was the assumption I had about you. (laughs) When you look at how he responded to the other two, well done, come and enter into your master's happiness. Doesn't seem like a hard man. I wonder if the thing that's been keeping you from responding to God is the wrong assumption you've had about how he views you. Wrong assumption you have about who he really is.